This is an RNZ podcast. This is Media Watch. I'm Colin Peacock. This week, developments on a long-running saga, the government review of media content online, and how to reform our regulatory watchdog bodies, which were set up a long time ago, and long before the internet changed the game, in fact. But this week, our focus is on radio. We'll hear about a music radio network that's spreading around the country from pretty humble beginnings. Broadcasting from a crappy little building in the middle of beautiful downtown Nelson. We've never played a 30-second commercial on our radio stations, any of them, at any point in time, ever. But how does that work without any ads and the income from them? Well, Brian FM didn't trouble the judges at this year's annual awards bash for the radio industry, where, as usual, the commercial broadcaster's intense rivalry was on show. But the industry's top spokespersons now called on the rivals to switch their focus from each other to the medium itself. To see our station's name alongside such brilliant journalists and brilliant news organisations and friends meant so much. Um, so thank you to my, my fellow nominees, to my Today FM whanau. What I wouldn't do, what I wouldn't do for one more year with you guys, and if we could do it all again, even knowing what we know now, I would not hesitate. That was Tova O'Brien at the Voyager Media Awards last weekend in Auckland, picking up the prize for Best Broadcast News Reporter of the Year. And there she gave big ups to her colleagues at the talk station Today FM, and shortly after she gave a bit of a big finger, figuratively speaking, to MediaWorks, the company which closed it down in late April. Now that was a small awkward moment at the National News Media's Night of Nights last weekend, And there were a few more of those at the New Zealand Radio Awards last Thursday, where Today FM and its people were nominated for no fewer than nine awards, even though the network is now history. I'd also like to make a special mention of our colleagues in the industry at Today FM. (laughs) Especially those who are finalists tonight. While radio may be a competitive industry, no one likes to see a radio station close. So why is it that award-worthy talk radio talent is now off the air and in some cases out of work? Well, the highly competitive nature of the commercial radio business is a big part of the answer. And that was plain last week when the latest annual commercial radio audience survey results came out and the two companies which carve up the bulk of the commercial radio audience between them trumpeted their own successes. NZME's statements, for example, noted that its networks, News Talk ZB, The Hits and ZM, had grown the overall share of the audience for the company, while MediaWorks reminded people that its stations, The Rock, The Breeze, The Edge and more, still have more than half of the recorded audience for commercial stations. But this year, the new boss of the umbrella group representing them all, the Radio Broadcasters Association, urged the two big broadcasters to turn down the rivalry a bit and put a more mutual spin on things, celebrating instead the fact that the research had showed that radio as a medium still attracts about 3.5 million Kiwis a week overall. And last week, Andrew Jamison told the New Zealand Herald's Shane Curry this. The industry is doing itself a disservice with everybody wins. It's not about one network winning over the other, and I would hope that this week is the start of a journey. The Herald also reported that Alistair Jamison had been meeting industry chiefs from rival broadcasters and telling them that the industry needs to be more aligned and that blowing up survey results is a waste of time, with some pretty blunt language thrown in there for good measure. Now, Alistair Jamison comes from an advertising background and selling audiences to advertisers and competition with others is what commercial radio is still all about. So this week I asked him if it was really in the big broadcaster's interests to follow his lead. 
clearly, yeah, they have their own business interests um, first and foremost. And, and my comments, to be clear, are not about reducing any form of competitiveness. It, it was more about the fact that if you if you look at the opportunity for the commercial radio industry as a whole, that opportunity is not winning share from each other or winning revenue from each other. Well, they clearly the share part is important, but the opportunity is to win share from other places for the good of the total industry. So, sure, the rock can can take revenue off of Hauraki, but actually the opportunity is to go those two brands together, engage incredibly effectively with men, which is a tough market to reach from a commercial perspective. So if the industry can understand the bigger opportunity or that the advertising industry can understand the bigger opportunity, that's where radio as a whole and the industry as a whole wins. Well, that competitive instinct uh, and the loyalties, uh, that's really on show at the New Zealand Radio Awards just uh, this week's, uh, this year's version held uh, last Thursday. But you see it every year, don't they? The, the staff of the two big companies, you know, they sit together, they cheer each other's successes and, you know, perhaps quiet when the other side wins something. And then in the middle somewhere is non-commercial RNZ getting the occasional bit of polite applause uh, when they win stuff in categories that apply to them. Uh, but uh, Shane Curry in the Herald even described that um, perhaps a bit tongue-in-cheek is kind of cult-like. But that really is a product of that hyper-competitiveness, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. It is hyper competitive, but you know my background is not actually in radio, so I've come to this from a, a commercial, you know, agency, advertising agency background. So whilst there is competitiveness, there's a collegiality around the total output of the industry and wanting to see it do well. And I think Radio Awards is is a good recognition of that and a good opportunity to celebrate um, the amazing work that gets done from the big network players right through to the to the smaller independent players that make up the market as a whole. When you talked about the bigger picture, I guess you're talking there about all the other things that compete from our, for our attention that aren't broadcasting um, of, of any form. Or, you know, it could be Netflix, Spotify, whatever, just that, that take up our time. There's massive competition for time and, and as a result for the commercial dollar that publishing companies are, are looking to chase. So 25-30% of people's time is spent listening to some form of radio, yet it attracts 8% of the advertising dollar across a year. So there's a, there's a gap between the time spent with the channel and the dollars that it receives. And that, that's the same for a lot, of, a lot of channels. But within that, there is an opportunity for radio to, to look at how it grows its total share of that pie. The global players have had a massive impact and it's really important for the for the total health of the media industry in this country that there continues to be a balance of, of where those dollars go. Yeah, one thing that hasn't changed though perhaps in the 10 to 15 years you mentioned there is you know what some people call a duopoly, you know, two big media companies, NZME and MediaWorks, that have the vast bulk of the commercial radio audience and, and market, if we can put it like that, in, in New Zealand. Is it even possible for a, a kind of third player or a smaller player to grow any bigger when these two companies have you know such a big share of the most popular networks that we find across the dial? In all honesty, I, I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about what that future looks like at a business level. It depends on how you define competition. If you step back and look at it, you know, going back to my 8% point, there's a lot of other points of competition for the dollars that they receive or for the, the market share that they get. I don't think there are any barriers to that entry, but I think if you were looking at from the outside in, you'd want to be sure that the opportunity is there to make that a viable business going forward, clearly. Yeah, well, there is, of course, a third powerful player in the radio market, uh, but but not 
being RNZ. Not hustling for ads, yeah, and that's uh, non-commercial publicly funded RNZ. If you go back, this is before you were appointed as uh, the boss of the Radio Broadcasters Association, which was opposed to RNZ launching a youth frequency that would be part on radio and also online that became controversial in early 2020. The RBA wrote a quite a long and fairly hefty lawyer's letter saying this would be outside RNZ's charter responsibilities and RNZ ought to fill gaps that are underserved and not play music to younger people, along with other content that stations of, of the commercial broadcasters currently do. W- would you oppose them expanding their output and maybe targeting younger listeners currently underserved with public broadcasting? That is a tough question, actually, for me personally, because that was pre-my time, so all of the background I'm not entirely close to, so that would depend on exactly what shape and form that revised solution for reaching younger New Zealand looks like. But if RNZ's got new funding and it might go in that direction, will you actually sit down and talk with them? Does their role as an associate member of the RBA allow them to have sort of input into uh, what stance you take, um, if it looks like it might be cutting across the interests of commercial broadcasters? I don't see any reason why we would not sit down to, to try to work together on that for the benefit of all. But my primary focus is on how... I can bring skills and knowledge that I have to kind of help the commercial radio industry in particular flourish in the in the next kind of five to ten years. That takes into account a, a kind of wide range of things from kind of what the future of a digital radio looks like through to how they win uh, their fair share, you know, today and in the next few years. Mm. It's, when you mentioned the future of digital radio there, I mean, d- digital technologies change so much about the delivery of television and music and people call it the cockroach medium sometimes because it's uh, it just keeps seems to keep going whereas you know other other forms of media have been kicked around a bit more by digital advances but is radio's kind of superpower that it'll keep going as long as it's it's got like millions and millions of re- robust receivers that won't stop working for decades yeah yeah and, and car radios as well of course being a yeah, big part of the mix yeah possibly but i think probably the superpower is the fact that radio continues to produce if you actually look at the recent numbers audience data, listenership over the last few years has been very, very resilient and very stable. The amazing people that produce the content that people want to listen to are getting it right. 3.65 million Kiwis a week listening to radio in total and that number hasn't really moved. And if you compare that to some other, I guess what you might call linear or traditional businesses, um, you probably wouldn't be able to say the same thing. So the audio industry as a whole needs to continue to kind of focus on delivering stuff that people want and technology, whilst it's important, does not become the defining element of it. That was Alistair Jamison, the recently appointed Chief Executive of the Radio Broadcasters Association, which represents the mutual interests of radio broadcasters. As we've heard, attracting advertisers with a decent-sized audience is what it's all about for commercial radio companies, and that's the reason why MediaWorks pulled the plug on its talk station Today FM recently, just a year after spending millions launching it. Last month, the station that was promising news that moves us forward was replaced on the air with one that promised to take listeners back to the 1990s and 2000s. Channel X promised Gen X listeners the songs they had on CD back in the day and whatever else we feel like playing on the day, but without DJs. Now at that time, the head of radio at the AUT, Matt Mulgard, told MediaWatch that there's another growing network that was already offering that on the radio, but also 
without the ads. I mean, this has been seen in things like Brian FM, which is a local network through the South Island and a couple of North Island ones too. And they, they only take sponsorships. They don't take ads. They have sponsors of particular categories. So they won't have two car dealers. They won't have two supermarkets. They only have one of each. And that pays the bills and makes enough money to keep everyone happy. So they've thought about what does radio mean to our community now and how do we make advertising work for it? And they've changed the model completely. And I think all of them are thinking that way. What do we do beyond a 30-second spot that adds value to advertisers and makes money for us? And that's the big change sweeping the industry at the moment. Now, Brian FM began in Blenheim back in 2015 and pushing the signal out into smaller places at the top of the south like Havelock, Seddon and Ward. Now it's also in Nelson, Ashburton, Omaru, Timaru, Alexandra and Cromwell and Whanganui, Taihape and Taranaki in the north. Media Watch first became aware of Brian FM when they broke into their playlists to play emergency messages during the fires in Nelson back in January 2019. If you've not registered yet, you must do so by phoning 03 543 8400 or registering at the Civil Defence Centre at Saxton Field Stadium. But in more normal times, aside from sponsors' messages, you'll only hear Brian FM advertising itself like this. Broadcasting from a crappy little building in the middle of beautiful downtown Nelson. This is Brian FM at 105.6 and covering the Tasman on 105.3 Murchison and Glenhope. Now, Brian FM didn't feature at the New Zealand Radio Awards in Auckland this week, and it's still a minnow compared to the big two commercial companies. But its founder, Andrew Jeffries, did work for the major networks here back in the 1990s before forging a career in commercial radio in London and then Los Angeles. But from home in Blenheim these days, he's still working, at unsociable hours, for groups of stations in the giant US-based company iHeartRadio, as well as fostering the still-spreading Brian FM. So we thought we'd give it a shot. So we started with uh, an LPFM radio station in Blenheim, which covered about one and a half kilometre radius. And we got enough positive feedback from there. We thought, oh, maybe we should go and stretch our wings and go for a big frequency across Blenheim, uh, the metropolis of Blenheim. The station just took off. And then we were sitting in Whanganui with some mates and they went, hey, we love your radio station. We listen online. You should put it here in, in Whanganui as well. And, we went, and from there, it just continued to snowball. Everywhere we go, we get inundated with folks. Uh, what about us? What about us? What about us? And now Brian FM is in 12 regions across New Zealand. But the kind of mega trend in recent times in radio in New Zealand for, for music anyway has been that we have these two big networks. Is this basically little frequencies or smaller ones that they're just not interested in? And if you started expanding any further, you'd be kind of parking your tanks on their lawn and it would get um, a bit more intense or hasn't expanded to the point where you're, you're hurting their commercial interest? I like your phrase, parking tanks on their lawn. I've never really thought about it like that. We operate on frequencies in every one of our markets that are identical to the commercial networks. We could do exactly the same on or our frequencies as Radio Hauraki or The Edge or ZM or pick a radio station, doesn't matter. We could run DJs, we could run commercials, we could be a talk station, we could be a music station, we could be a sports station. There is no parameters or restrictions on us whatsoever, except we choose to be different and to break the mould of traditional radio. There are two network players in New Zealand that predominantly occupy the radio spectrum, as you mentioned, when it comes to commercial radio. Why shouldn't there be three? Mm, but they or would be bothered if you started running ads or trying to employ uh, DJs um, like theirs, maybe. Um, I, I, would, I would hasten to say I don't think they're happy we exist. 
because we take market share and market share is revenue. Mm. So by market share, I'm talking about people listening, ears. They're a sales organization there to make money selling listeners' attention. Uh, and it's not our goal. It's just a repercussion of us being on the radio dial and competing with a product that's very sticky, very appealing, and has a – I don't like using the word cult because it sounds too exclusive. And it's not. <laughs> I can't think of the right phrase to use. But you know what I mean? It's like a family of listeners who actually care about the radio station in a way that they talk about it like it's part of their life and it's part of them. Yeah, so long as you're playing the music they want to listen to, though, right? Because you you do make a point of saying it's what we want to play. We're playing what we want to hear. Yeah, exactly, playing what we feel like. Um, And you're welcome to listen. If you don't like listening, then there's lots of other radio stations. Jump on one of them. Find one out there that you do like to listen to and enjoy that. So no ads. This is the interesting thing. People will be wondering how, (laughs) how on earth you're doing this because no one will actually hear a belt of commercials such as you would hear on, for example, uh, the newly launched Channel X um, from MediaWorks that replaces Today FM. We've never played a 30-second commercial on our radio stations, any of them, at any point in time, ever. Uh, We've never had a 60-second. We've always worked under a different business model on much lower margins, and we're very, very aware of our costs to broadcast and our costs to maintain. But, you know, the fact we're growing and keep keep expanding, and last year we added... Uh, Taranaki, North Canterbury to our Christchurch station and we added Southland as well. And there's a lot of investment in those so we've got to be making money but we do it in a way that's more small increments than expecting large purchases from any individual company. So the, the sponsoring, do the sponsoring businesses providing enough money from this sponsorship arrangement to cover the cost that you've mentioned there of the frequencies? Oh, and the... Absolutely, we're not a charity. What started off as a bit of fun has turned out to be quite a little business. Uh, we, it has to cover itself. We're not independently wealthy. Without them, we don't exist. Uh, they like the interaction with us. They like the radio station's ethos of what it stands for and how it does things. They like the music. They like the lack of other stuff around the peripheral edges. So it's a, it's a it's a wonderful symbiotic relationship between us, our listeners, and our partners. And Andrew, you you started in New Zealand commercial radio back in I think the nineteen nineties. Then went overseas, ended up working in radio in the UK, and then in in Los Angeles, um, where yeah. you know you, you're the subject of a bunch of features. You know, local guy done good working for iHeart Radio. They're running a bunch of stations. It sounds like, but still doing it here here in New Zealand from Blenheim. Um, sounds like you've, you're still working with the US and and the iHeart Radio group. Well, so, so I'm just, I was just about to say, we're really lucky to have been a part of kind of a, an import, an export and reintegration back to New Zealand. It just happenstance that we ended up, you know, living in the UK for 11 years and working with Capital Radio in London and various other markets and Glasgow and Edinburgh. And then, you know, back to um, Kiss FM in London and running that for a, a large period of time. Uh, and then uh, the migration to the US, which was 14, 15 years uh, in Los Angeles and running 140 stations for iHeart uh, across the country over there. iHeart is a is the major audio player in America, um, and I'm still pleased to be doing work with them. I'm, I'm working on lots of different projects for for iHeart. It's just some days I'm I'm up at 3:30 or 4 in the morning. Other days I get asleep in and it's 5:30 or 6. The time difference is not good during winter. <laughs> uh, well, interestingly, this week is the New Zealand Radio Awards and. Uh... Obviously, uh, a kind of competition between the two big uh, groups that dominate New Zealand commercial uh, radio and music radio, specifically that's NZME mm-hmm. and MediaWorks. Do you care about any of that now that you're sort of on the outside of it? You know what we should do? Because we're never going to get an award. We should actually go and sponsor the awards. 
And that way we get a seat at the table because otherwise we're never going to get a shoe in. Um, well, none that. of your DJs can ever win best broadcast because they don't employ any. Well, no, it'd be great. We could actually have them there in the nominations that have empty seats at tables. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But the, we had the uh, the boss of the Umbrella Group, the Radio Broadcasters Association, Andrew Jamison. Um, he's new in that role, uh, saying in the New Zealand Herald recently, look, it's time for the two groups to stop claiming they've got the competitive advantage one over the other because that's all about attracting advertisers, which is revenue, of course, which is critical to them. But he's telling them, talk about the radio industry as a whole and radio as an option for people because you're not really competing with each other, you're competing with the whole gamut of digital media. Has he got the right idea about that or or is the dog-eat-dog thing of two parts of a radio duopoly really the thing that drives the competitive instincts of the business? I think he's 100% correct. If you look at Formula One as an example, there's a governing body who looks across Formula One that is there looking at the best interests of the sport and its global relevance. And in the last five, six years, Formula One has gone from being very important in a lot of countries to exceedingly important in a larger number, including the US, where they struggled to have one race. Now they have three. And basically what I'm saying is the governing body has actually managed to keep the bickering and the the competitive nature of the teams alive, but look at the greater good of that industry. The association, the RBA, do need to take that role much more seriously. It's about the greater good of audio and content distribution and appeal for our listeners and our um, our uh, advertisers appropriately or our partners on our platforms compared to Facebook or Google, TikTok, or you pick it. Audio is so important at the moment. There are so many people competing in the visual spaces for attention from billboards down the side of the road to you know newspapers to flyers in the mail to TV to YouTube videos to you name it it's just constantly everywhere and audio is a, a the most powerful and imagination invoking medium and if we aren't championing that as an industry then we are missing the point and internal scraps inside the industry between competing companies should pale into insignificance when it comes to the value of the greater good of what we do. So is Did that answer your question? Yeah, well, it kind of does. But is, is New Zealand radio right now, is it like Formula One with a media strategy that's uh, making the brand popular? Or is it Super Rugby, for example, which is struggling it's to put super, bums on streets? It's, it's much more Super Rugby versus NPC versus international touring rugby, where each one of them seems to have their own. And again, I, I'm an armchair critic. It's not a, It's not that natural balance of relationships between those three various sectors of rugby. And I think radio is doing the same thing here. And I hope we get past that swiftly and actually go, yes, we're going to compete with one another. You know, back to the point that that Brian FM's frequencies are all capable of doing whatever we want. At the end of the day, we've all got transmitters bolted to hills and squirting out a signal that people can or cannot listen to if they don't want to. And we are going to try and challenge one another when it comes to being a better product than another station or a better DJ or a better manager or a better sales team. Yeah, whatever. Do that. But public facing, we've got to be a unified front of it's about audio at the moment. Once you get that message across, 
it's then up for us to come up with the best ideas to be the one that they go with. They, you know, they're going through the survey results at the moment. They'll be going through the fine tooth comb going, hey, where are we doing well? Where do we need to focus on? How do we do better here? How do we get this better? And that's a that's a healthy process to go through. And it's one that that we do ourselves and all, all serious radio companies around the world or media and broadcast companies around the world do. But through that process, there's always a, a, a look internal and and the the as you say the cheat sheet of this is where we're doing so well they put it as a press release and then vice versa the other companies will be doing the same thing from their angle and at some point you end up with I don't think there's any fake news in there I, that would be inappropriate to say I think what it is is statistically they can find a reason to be looking like they're doing exceedingly well on everything and I think we need to have some honesty that actually as an industry we should be talking about the wins of the industry and trying to get that out. Sure, so is the radio and audio business now in a kind of moment where maybe newspaper publishers, news publishers were 15, 20 years ago, you know, they made the decision to put our stuff online, hopefully that'll bring people to it, um, but they still relied on printing papers and placing display ads to bring in the money, and, and kind of still do. Um, but now you've got podcasts and audio that's nothing to do with broadcast out over the transmitters bolted to the hill that you talked about there is it worth their while making podcasts and original content which is expensive when no one pays the consumer i think no one's paying the consumer like some some podcasts are a fee up front you you subscribe and that that does exist in the podcast world and I haven't looked through the portfolio of products you just mentioned from the from uh, the, the companies here. Uh, I don't know if any of them are doing a subscription model like that. I, that's not in my purview. But having a podcast that has appeal, like Duncan Garner, and having Duncan's podcast available somewhere does give you opportunities for revenue, even if the, if the end user isn't parting with cash themselves. So me as a listener, I'm not giving a cent to Duncan or to um, uh, to MediaWorks for that podcast. However, uh, alongside that podcast, there might be an audio pre-roll or a video pre-roll or display if I'm looking at it on my laptop or whatever. And there's opportunities for uh, so, so um, uh, additional revenues and opportunities around the peripheral. And that's that's where the, the, the revenue opportunities come for those kind of uh, events, aside from direct sale of it you know, to a major partner or something like that. There is a lot of similarity to what print tried to do and did do in, in various parts of the world. And again, I wasn't in New Zealand for a, a large part of this transformation uh, of how they're operating. But I think that the print sector was probably more reluctant to change than the audio sector has been. I think the the likes of adoption of podcasts, um, rerun shows, um, uh, best of pieces from your radio uh, broadcasts, um, and the products that that are delivered across the the platforms, whether it be terrestrial FM, AM, or be it digital online, I think there's a greater offering there that gives listeners more of an opportunity to embrace what we're doing now and not be reliant on, you know, the little transistor radio that you used to have as a, as a kid, if you're going back in our, in our lifetime, um, you can do it all with your phone now. And I think we've been very quick on the adoption of those new technologies, which has given our brands more relevance today than if we'd tried to fight it going, no, don't worry about your phone. Don't listen to your computer. No, you need a radio in your house, just like you your parents had well people don't have that anymore you know you, you go into a house that's got a stereo and it's rare now you know the only place that's really prolific with radio radio physical traditional radios is in your car and even the dashboard's being challenged 
digital platforms have opened up opportunity for us as, a, as an industry. And I think we've done a pretty good job across the board of adopting those and trying to to um, you know be everywhere our, our consumers need, want, or think we should be. That was Andrew Jeffries, a former radio network executive here and then in the UK and the US. And now he's the Blenheim-based brains behind Brian FM, playing the music that he and his colleagues like without ads in 12 locations around the country. Uh, I wasn't aware of internal affairs and the media regulations being reviewed, but they're being reviewed. They <laughs> what are. is the review saying? They What's are, internal well... affairs role, apart from anything else? Yes. Uh, we don't that know. department of places that don't have another place to be in many ways, internal affairs. <laughs> it's very unfair. No, it's not unfair. Affairs, There's some really, really good work happening within that... it. That was Catherine Ryan on 9 to noon back in April 2021, unaware that the way media content is regulated in this country was under review by one of several government ministries with oversight of aspects of our media these days. But she would have been far from the only one not knowing about the Media Content Regulatory Review, which had been underway but under the radar for almost three years at that point. On 9 to noon back then, the former editor of the press, Andrew Holden, described it this way. Uh, that they're going to launch a fresh review of uh, New Zealand's media content regulatory system. This has been battled with many times and essentially what they're saying is uh, the current regime is old, it's not really fit for purpose. It's They've basically said we think it's time to review what's going on, the various acts and the way it's done and try and pull this into a cohesive whole. But that would not be popular with most of the media and some advertisers who enjoy self-regulation as things stand funding their own bodies to uphold standards and consider public complaints about their content. Only the broadcasters have standards overseen by a Crown regulator with the power to punish them. That's the BSA, Broadcasting Standards Authority, though its penalties are pretty modest. Now on the face of it, creating one single regulator to replace several separate ones, which predate the internet, does make sense. And that was what the Law Commission concluded 10 years ago when it recommended a single regulator that was independent of the government. But there was no appetite for that at that time, and the minister back then, Judith Collins, even said there was no crisis of confidence in the mainstream media that was forcing the issue. And then last Thursday, under the new name Safer Online Services and Media Platforms, Te Tare Taifenua, the Department of Internal Affairs, proposed media platforms should be brought into one framework with codes of practice enforced by an independent regulator in the future. Media services like TV and radio broadcasters would also need to follow new codes tailored to their industry, the discussion paper says, and this new regulator would also have the power to penalise serious failures. That sounds like the end of self-regulation, but the discussion document also says... News media could develop their own code under this proposal and continue to consider complaints for breaches of their code in the first instance, which is effectively what they do now. This week, one of the headlines about this warned of a new super-powered government body set to rule over news and social media content, and another called it a census dream. But the Department of Internal Affairs General Manager of Policy, Suzanne Doig, told me this. I don't see that what we're proposing creates any material change to the oversight of regulators or government over media broadcast or journalistic content. And we've tried to be very, very clear that the regulator will have no powers to step into editorial decision-making. We're not talking about a new regulator 
on top of the existing regime. We're talking about a replacement regime that brings many of those features of the existing system that broadcasters will be familiar with into the new system. Uh, the discussion document does say um, the regulator would have the power to check information from platforms, which would include news media, uh, to make sure that they follow the codes and could issue penalties for serious failures of compliance. So if it has a lot of staff and a big budget, then you'd think they would be wary of oversight of a a beefed up body, wouldn't they? I think we'd be looking here is to come back to the basis of the codes, consumer safety. And the question for, for news media and broadcasters is, by and large, they do not carry a lot of content that would deem to be unsafe. I think persistent or serious non-compliance would be the unlikely scenario where one of our linear broadcasters is broadcasting R18 material um, routinely at hours that children can see it. That's the kind of things we're talking about, kind of content that you know journalists and our, our broadcasters carry by and large, is, is not going to be in a position where we will be saying, hey, you're, you're routinely carrying material that's causing harm to New Zealanders. There's another fish hook in this too. Minimising the risk of harm to New Zealanders is the overarching goal of this review, and there really is no consensus on what harmful content really is. We'll look into this and what various media make of it next week here on Media Watch. But for now, that's all we have for you this weekend, though we'll be back with more on the media on Midweek Media Watch at about 10pm next Wednesday night on Nights with Mark Leishman. And then back again with more Media Watch at the same time next weekend here on RNZ National.